0: Hello and welcome to Progressive News Network. It's October the 4th, 2020. I'm your host, Brooke Hines. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening, downloading, or you know, just intuiting this out of the, the ether. Um, a few show notes. Last week, we had some technical difficulties that I just realized happened or just figured out what they were. So I am going to replay a couple of segments from last week uh, in addition to our material from this week. Just so uh, we've got a, a, a great interview with uh, Wendy Lynn Lee with a uh, Uh, show founder and executive producer, Rick Spizak. And I don't want anybody to miss that. And we have a superb piece from Jenny Maloff on, um, uh, on Bill Barr and on the justice report. And that was a very special piece too. So I don't want you guys to miss that. So we're going to, we're going to replay that. And uh, if you get two episodes of progressive news network in your, uh, podcaster or podcatcher this week Um, this is why because it didn't go out on the podcatchers and I apologize I am so sorry um again we we were uh, tripped up by blog talk radio's interface and um you know we're just learning new things about the interface all the time I won't bore you with the details of that but it was a um a, a pretty weird snafu that happened with that. Okay, you guys, this week um, we've got Jenny Mollis is coming back at the bottom of next hour with the Justice Report, in addition to the pre recorded segments that, that we have. And I want to go over some of the things that happened this week in the Weekly Beat. So there was a debate this week. Does anybody remember that? There was actually a debate. And it uh, actually works very much in Trump's favor that nobody remembers the debate. And all we remember from this week is that Trump was diagnosed with COVID. Uh, his performance of the debate was absolutely horrific. Uh, I remember remarking at the time that I didn't think that he looked very good, I felt like he looked kind of sweaty, and he didn't have his usual mango shade of orange going on. It seemed to be a more more of a rust color at least on the monitor that I was looking at the television in the living room and he didn't I don't want to say that Donald Trump has a has humor or is humorous, but he's definitely in the past been more able to carry him, himself with a, a little more lightly, with, with with a lighter touch. And he definitely didn't go into this debate with that. He just went uh, uh, balls to the wall, as as aggressive and horrific as as he possibly could. And you know, it doesn't surprise me at all. That he turned up with this diagnosis, with this COVID diagnosis, the next morning on Wednesday, Um, but we didn't find out until Thursday after midnight, I believe. That's the timeline. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, By the way, Joe Biden is saying that he is up for debate number two, and he's prepping and getting ready for it if Donald Trump w- will be well enough to to debate. Now, I don't think that that's a possibility. And I think that this diagnosis of COVID does throw quite a few monkey wrenches into the machinery. And so let's get into that. All right. So Trump has COVID. And today, let's work backwards. Right before we came on air, Donald Trump did a um did a what do you want to call it a message to Americans or a message to supporters and I'm going to
1: play that for you let's see um, all right okay Here
2: it is. We're getting great reports from the doctors. This is an incredible hospital, Walter Reed. The work they do is just absolutely amazing, and I want to thank them all, the nurses, the doctors, everybody here. I've also gotten to meet some of the soldiers and the first responders and what a group. I also think we're going to pay a little surprise to some of the great patriots that we have out on the street And they've been out there for a long time, and they've got Trump flags, and they love our country. So I'm not telling anybody but you, but I'm about to make a little surprise visit. So perhaps I'll get there before you get to see me. But I just, uh, when I look at the enthusiasm, and we have enthusiasm like probably nobody's ever had. Our people that love the job we're doing, we have more enthusiasm than maybe anybody. So uh, it's been a very interesting journey. I learned a lot about COVID. I learned it by really going to school. This is the real school. This isn't the let's read the book school. And I get it. And I understand it. And it's a very interesting thing. And I'm going to be letting you know about it. In the meantime, we love the USA and we love what's happening. Thank you.
0: Okay, so this this particular statement comes on the heels of the statement that he put out yesterday, uh, where he was sitting at a, at a table. He looked rather gray to me. It looked like uh, he, like there was a section that was edited out where he might've coughed. Uh, He looked, he looked to me like how I feel when I have had pneumonia in the past, when you can't get a good breath and you really can't project your voice. Now this particular uh, clip comes after we found out today that he started a uh, dexamethasone, which is a very powerful steroid. And it's generally used on people in, in, a, in a COVID environment for people who are getting supplemental oxygen and or are on a ventilator. Now, obviously, he's up and walking around. He's not on a ventilator. But we've been hearing about his uh, need for oxygen now for two days with the doctor's um, pressers at 11 o'clock in the morning. So let's talk, let's get into a little bit of that in a second. Uh, I, as a lot of people, you know, I've shared this quite a few times on the air, but uh, I was extremely sick many years ago and um, uh, steroid therapy was one of the things that pulled me out. Of what was what was going on. So at one point, uh, when they finally figured out that they would take this approach, they hit me with more than a hundred milligrams of prednisone. And pred- prednisone is isn't the same as um, dexamethasone. It's it's not quite as it's not quite as powerful. But in a dose of more than a hundred milligrams, that is like uh, that's like you know jumping off the high dive into a swimming pool full of cocaine or something. It is just like your mind just goes and uh and you've got all this energy and nobody prepared me for that at all. So uh and I remember taking that first dose at dinner time. So it was, you know, about six o'clock. And uh whoo, that was that was not fun. That was not fun at all. Now one of the things that can happen With these very powerful steroids is you can get a steroid psychosis. And I think a lot of people who have had these, uh, large doses, these very powerful steroids know what, know what it, what that is. Um, It's a sense of grandiosity. It's a sense of you can conquer the world. Uh, If you heard him talking in this clip, he talked about this great enthusiasm and uh, America being the greatest country on earth. And these are things that he already says, of course, but uh, he's also uh, uh, hopped up. As my grandfather would say, he's hopped up on on these drugs. So he's taking it to another level. And the level that he actually took it to was to pull his entourage into his presidential SUV and take a drive around the uh, uh, well-wishers that are that have gathered the, the MAGA crew and the Q crew that have gathered around Walter Reed um, Medical Center. That is not rational. That is absolutely not rational to be hospitalized with COVID and to stick everybody in your entourage in that hermetically sealed. The presidential SUV is hermetically sealed for chemical attacks and tear gas and stuff like that. So the, the air recirculates, recirculates inside the vehicle. You don't, there's there's no wind, there's no uh, uh, air circulation The air you're breathing is the air that other people are exhaling And uh, so everybody who is in that vehicle now has to quarantine for 14 days Which should be interesting in terms of his own detail You know, now the the, the people who are on detail today can't see him again for 14 days, one would imagine, um, because you wouldn't want to increase the viral load on on a patient. Now, the other thing he said in this that I thought was really interesting and raised an eyebrow was that since he's been in the hospital, he's met other first responders and and uh, veterans <laughs> that are in the hospital, and. Uh, Please, God, tell me he hasn't been up walking around and just wandering into other uh, hospital rooms as a COVID patient, you know, and spreading COVID everywhere. I don't think that anybody has control of this man. You know, first of all, he is who he is. He's the, you know, dark triad psychopath. Um, But you know, he also is, is this giant narcissistic personality and, you know, people, people don't get in his way. And I think that what we saw there in this, in this clip was uh, one right after another with the, uh, with the, it, it seems that he's hopped up on the dexamethasone. He's claiming he saw other patients. He decided to take his entourage for a drive around, you know, in the hermetically sealed SUV This is not Good reasoning This is not what a Person would do if they're thinking Correct, uh, thinking clearly um, So there's That uh, A lot of, there's a lot Of speculation as to Where Donald Trump is In relation to The uh, The uh, Course of of COVID. Now he says that he tested positive on Wednesday morning. With regard to the dissembling that his medical team has been engaged in, uh, I have no reason, and nobody has any reason to believe anything that they say. And uh, what they what they've been coming out and talking about yesterday morning and this morning uh yesterday morning they uh, uh, were unable to provide a straight answer on whether or not he'd been on oxygen they were uh they would not answer about whether he was on uh how high of a fever he had or what his um blood oxygen level is and also on saturday morning they totally screwed up the timeline so they said you know, oh, he he uh, he tested positive 72 hours ago, and then tried to come back on Sunday morning and say, "No, I meant two days rather than three days or whatever." And this is his this is his personal presidential physician, Dr. Sean Conley, who you know has this inability to convey just basic information out to the media. As a matter of fact, this morning it was hilarious. Uh, uh, Chief of staff Mark Meadows was a a photograph was taken of, of him face palming with both hands, you know, while uh, Dr. Sean Connolly was uh, delivering his remarks. So, you know, what we can do is we can say that we see certain things that are happening. So he was hospitalized at, at Walter Reed. Walter Reed is only an eight minute, um, helicopter ride from the White House. And the White House also has its own medical facilities on the grounds. So the idea that he went to Walter Reed out of an overabundance of caution or, you know, just to check himself in, you know, that doesn't wash with me. Because he could, if it wasn't that big of a deal, if he wasn't actually having a lot of trouble breathing, Or, you know, wasn't having a panic attack Or feeling that he really needed to be in a hospital Then the White House is more than well equipped To take care of him there And should he need to dash off in the middle of the night He can do that within eight minutes None of us, none of the rest of us could do that, by the way Nobody can just like walk up to a hospital and say I would like to check myself in um, because I think that I might have a, a coronavirus. Um, yeah, so none of that is to believed. The doctor, Dr. Sean Conley, has been, reporters tried to pin him down on the issue of blood oxygen level. And this is super important. And I think everybody needs to pay attention to especially this, this one stat. And they were able to pin him down that the blood ox got below 94. Now, there are also reports that his blood oxygen level got down into the 80s. If your blood oxygen level is getting down into the 80s with coronavirus, at least with regard to the standard of care that is considered a very very severe uh, case. Going going below 94 is is considered a moderate to severe case. Okay, this is this is not good. If your body is unable to keep your blood oxygenated and unable to keep those levels up, then that means that something is is not going right systemically. And especially with regard to coronavirus, we know actually what's what the problem is there. Um, Donald Trump has some preconditions. He's overweight. He's 74 years old. And the doctor said something interesting at yesterday's press conference that made it sound like he might also have an inflammatory issue in addition to uh, what everybody can see, that, that he's an older gentleman and that he's overweight. Um, it is generally taken to be that you cannot say whether a person is going to um, pull out of COVID or not until around the ninth day of being sick. Now, if he tested positive on Wednesday morning or even Thursday morning, whenever it was, in the middle of the week that he tested positive. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's when he found out. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how long he's been sick, but that's the piece of data that we have that is public. So I think that as we count the days to day nine, we count from Wednesday. So from Wednesday, Nine days away from Wednesday. Whether we'll know whether he is actually going to pull out of this or not, it will be Friday of this week, of this upcoming week. Um, Really, until then, there's not much that 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 we can um, that, that we can say because this is what covid does it comes in waves and right now he's just charged up with these steroids and he's you know like a raging bull and god i feel sorry for the hospital staff there having to to deal with him with that um but in the in the framework of having this kind of uh, virus, having this kind of uh, um, feeling bad in this way, he, he is going to burn himself up. He's going to burn all this energy up that the dexamethasone has given him. And in a day or so, he's going to crash. And when he crashes, he's going to feel really awful and we're not going to see him. And then he's going to go right back up the roller coaster again, and he's going to have another high point and expect to see another video released. And then he'll have another low point, And that's going to just happen until we get to day nine. That is when on day nine, that is when we know whether a patient is, is you know, generally going to do well with this or not do well, with, you know, uh, do worse. <clears throat> Herman Cain, by the way, Once he was getting oxygen in the hospital, the, uh, press, the media that that was being put out, um, by his people was saying that, Oh, he's getting, he's getting oxygen and he's going to be, he's on the mend and he's going to be out in no time. Well, turns out that the way that he did get out of the hospital was not the preferred way. He went out the back door instead of the front door. Um, we've also seen uh, we've seen a lot of medical professionals saying that um, that this is actually worse than we thought now the dexamethasone is a an indicator of this dexamethasone uh, is like I said, is generally given to people who are on ventilators and/or are doing supplemental oxygen. We know he's doing supplemental oxygen. It shouldn't be given. Like there's a give and take here. It shouldn't be given uh, prof, as a prophylaxis of getting worse. In other words you don't want to give it to a patient until you know that they absolutely need it. Because what a steroid does is it lowers your immunity. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get that cytokine storm or the bradykinin storm to calm down and to stop producing all of these, uh, um, uh, producing the material in your body that leads to more inflammation. It's that inflammation and that whole process that, you know, fills your lungs up with, um, uh, Jelly Like substance which is how People essentially drown from from This uh, So you know He could be at this point He could be where About where everyone else is Where they need to start taking the Dexamethasone now uh, Kyle Kalinske Did a secular talk this Afternoon where he was Conveying information uh, From a Hospital doctor in New York City who was right in the thick of things when COVID first hit. And he said that so far, everything that has been given to Donald Trump is 100% normal. It is exactly what any normal person, if you're hospitalized with COVID, you are going to you're going to get the remdesivir. You're probably going to get the, the, the Regeneron, which is the uh, antibody cocktail. And you will, at some point, get the steroid. That none of this is uh, voodoo magic. None of this is special stuff that only a president would get. Chances are, if the president is getting some special stuff, then he's not going to talk about it. However, he wants to talk about remdesivir and he wants to talk about Regeneron because he's been promoting the two companies that do these two uh, medicines. And uh, remdesivir is known not to really improve anyone's outcomes. It generally... Shortens your stay in the hospital by a day or two. I mean, it's really it has a really weak uh, action on this on this particular virus. Regeneron is the way to think of Regeneron is this is antibodies. You're introducing antibodies into your body kind of the way folks were talking about plasma therapy. So someone who had been sick with, with COVID they were, their body would produce some antibodies. Um, and then you could, you know, use the plasma from that patient, introduce it to your body, and then you would confer those antibodies over. It, it's kind of the same idea. You're introducing antibodies into the patient that should help them fight off this particular attack. In this case, uh, you know, Regeneron. Let's just say this: Regeneron is a therapeutic. Remdesivir is a therapeutic, and and the steroid medicine is a um, decent intervention for the uh, for the cytokine storm, for the inflammatory storm. Uh, to me we're not seeing any news that is coming out with regard to the medicines that he's taking. We're not seeing anything that is earth shattering. Uh, Regeneron, by the way, does, it has, I'll I'll put this in the show notes. There's a, a really good study out of Iran of all places where Regeneron was tested in, Um, high-risk populations, so people of color, um, Latino, African-American, and people in high-risk groups. And Regeneron did have a much better profile than remdesivir did in terms of outcomes with the patients. So so there's that. Um, Let me see if there's anything else. I just want to make sure that we're covering everything before we move along all right so <clears throat> so I mentioned the the piece about his clip yesterday where he was um sitting at the table, and it seemed to me that he was rather weakly addressing uh America in this in this video clip. It seemed to me that he was not. You know, taking deep breaths and projecting his voice, how he usually does. You know, with his bombast and everything. And at that same sitting, he did uh, he did a couple of photographs that were released to the media as proof of work, essentially. So they had him sit at one table and write his name on a piece of paper. And then he sat at another table and wrote his name on a piece of paper and then sent out these these images for the media. And of course, immediately, the media looks at the metadata on the photos and says, oh, my God, these were taken 10 minutes apart. <laughs> so <clears throat> he wanted you to think that he had been working all day and that someone had just you know kind of casually come by and taken a picture here and taken a picture there no 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 he had he had had a a the clouds had parted for a little while he was able to sit himself up he was able to spend 10 or 20 minutes taking photos and that was it and in the story now what happened after that particular uh, set of photos Were were sent out Was kind of Remarkable um, Chris Hayes Tweeted out he said This all has a deeply Soviet feel about it um, He And by that He meant that uh, Donald Trump was just writing his name on a piece of paper Rather than I don't know Signing a bill or something um, And that's a really kind of unfortunate and dumb way of of commenting on this it doesn't have a soviet feel you know woodrow wilson had a stroke and it was covered up fdr had polio and it was covered up reagan had uh early stages at least of alzheimer's and it was covered up and uh jfk was not in good health at all he was he was being held together with um um speed and barbiturates So um, this is this is not Soviet, okay? And that is completely par for the course for MSNBC's um messaging. I mean it's that serves a, a purpose for the national security community. And it's just very disappointing that someone that I used to respect, has you know, kind of fallen to this fallen to this level. That um, I mean, who's to say whether he believes in any of the stuff that he says or not? But it's absolutely what he needs to say to please the people that he works with. It is the messaging that the entire um, MSNBC cable news channel and network essentially with him with. NBC on on regular cable. It's what they've adopted is uh, they're just going to run with this whole um, Russia thing. But make no mistake, I mean, we've we've had presidents who have fallen extremely ill some with very long-term illnesses with, uh, with regard to uh, FDR and Ronald Reagan. Um, JFK took office as someone who was extremely uh, uh, not well. You know, he, he had taken a lot of, of damage in the war, so he had hurt his back a lot in the war, and I know what that feels like. Um, So, you know, somebody with chronic pain, somebody with uh, um, ongoing issues probably having to do with inflammation with that and how that affects your ability to think and your ability to have um, stamina. You know, because you're always fighting against fatigue when you have that kind of long term injury that is always uh, sending pain messages to your brain. Um, Something else. That was Interesting About this uh, Whole situation Let me uh, me back this up Real quick Um, We were talking about Regeneron Regeneron recently Signed a $450 Million contract With the U.S. government for this Coronavirus therapy That uh, Trump is getting, and um, and I'm not sure how, but I read a piece today about how Trump has some financial stake in the companies that are putting out Regeneron and Remdesivir, and this this little tidbit right here that Regeneron you know just signed a giant contract with the U.S. government that's. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty startling. Oh yeah, Trump gave his friend, the CEO of Regeneron, a massive government contract. That's what I just mentioned. And Trump so happens to own stock in the drug, um, one of the drugs he is currently promoting and taking for coronavirus. Regeneron is. It's the only thing really right now that 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 people are getting excited about. Um, so, so there's
1: that. Okay. 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 All right.
0: Um, How did Trump get this COVID? How did all of this start in the first place? Well, everyone thinks that there was a, that the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the party, not a party The reception, that's what it was The reception for the replacement For Ruth Bader Ginsburg Was the super spreader uh, event And It is said that Trump probably caught COVID from Hope Hicks um, But with regard to this b- Because she has She she had been around him It also turns out that his campaign manager Bill stepian Stepion, also has uh, tested positive. Uh, Melania has tested positive, and Rona McDaniel with the Republican Party uh, has also tested positive. Now, those are people who have more contact with Donald Trump than you know than just passing by at this reception. Um, so, those folks are the ones that I would I would assume uh, would would be the ones who have passed it on to him. That's really neither here nor there. What's important though is where the super spreading occurs and why that's important is because you need to be able to trace uh, backwards and forwards. So there was a really good article this week in the Atlantic magazine uh, online, and it talked about the sociology and the math that has to do with the spread of coronavirus. Coronavirus does not spread equally. Everyone who catches coronavirus does not spread coronavirus equally. Some people who get coronavirus do not spread it to anybody else at all. Some people can get coronavirus, not have symptoms at all, and be a a super spreader. And so the way that this math works out, it's that uh, 20% of the people who have tested positive for coronavirus or who have coronavirus, uh, 20% of those infected infect 80% of everyone else. So certain people have the capacity to be super spreaders, to, um, to be the ones that you've got to look out for. Um, Japan... Recognized this fairly early on and the reason why they didn't have the same horrible outcomes. The United States did was that they took an approach to tracing to contact tracing that took this into account. So they focused on they focused their energy on finding these super spreaders and uh, quarantining them specifically and making sure that those people uh, that they knew. Everyone that those people had come in contact with. And that's how they kept it under control. It's a a reasonable, rational way to go about it. Um, Other people who are at this event, I know that everybody has seen these uh, photographs that the Washington Post did of everyone sitting outside at this reception. And they've got the photo in black and white and then the people in color or outlined in red who have tested positive. And so people who have tested positive, in addition to Hope Hicks, Rona McDaniel, Melania Trump, and uh, the Trump's campaign manager, Bill, Bill Stepien, is uh, we have Chris Christie, who also just chugged himself into a hospital. Uh, we have Kellyanne Conway. We have Senator Mike Lee, a Republican of Utah. We have Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of of Wisconsin, and Senator Tom Tillis, a Republican in North Carolina. Now, that is very important that we have these three senators here that are um, positive because the Senate, Senate Republicans, unlike the Senate Democrats, uh, meet for lunch, I think it is. They meet in person three times a week three times a week they meet. And, and as they meet, they take off their masks if they're wearing them and talk and eat lunch and, and, you know, buddy, buddy, share, slap all the stuff that Republicans would, would do. Um, I don't know, sharpen their horns, whatever it is. And, um, so if you've got three senators for sure that we know of, one from North Carolina, one from Wisconsin, one from Utah, that are positive. Now, chances are there's a lot more uh, corona-positive Republican senators right now. Now, that is going to be very interesting with regard to anything ongoing uh, in terms of Oh, I'm having that word finding thing. That's so much fun. In terms of uh, filling the seat for the Supreme Court, if they don't have a quorum, they can't go forward. And what we know about the course of coronavirus is that, like I said, you know, it takes about nine days to know if you're going to come out of the woods. And then even after those nine days, a lot of people are just sick forever, Uh, like sick for a month, sick for two months and some people go chronic for quite some time. So, who knows when or if they're going to get that that quorum back. That is going to be very very interesting to watch. All right. Uh, I think I've covered everything that I wanted to cover about that. And just real quick, I want to I want to hit some other highlights. Bill Barr, uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, has announced that he is self quarantining. He's said a few times that he number one wouldn't share his um, COVID status, and then he backtracked on that and he said that his most recent test was negative. Again, I. Don't believe any of these people as far as I could throw them. Uh, So, you know, take that for what it is. Kellyanne Conway was said to have had an intimate conversation with Bill Barr at the reception out on the lawn. And uh, let's see, what else do we got here? Uh, The White House gift shop or grift shop has uh, announced that they're releasing a Trump defeats COVID commemorative Coin you can pick these up for $100 A piece sounds like Dewey defeats Truman to me But um, you know hey uh, you, you know what would be Funny pick up a couple of these coins And if he dies they're going to Be really worth some money So you know tips um, oh, And when speaking of tips Like stock tips uh, the, the reason why If you're wondering why uh, Donald Trump gathered everyone into the hermetically sealed SUV to drive around this afternoon. He's doing that for the stock market. He's doing that to, to put on a show and the show is for money. The show isn't for us. The show isn't for anything that actually matters to people. It is, it is all about making money in the stock market and making sure that there is still enthusiasm for him and that, that, uh, that he is, minimizing the fears that, that people have about his health. It's all a freaking show. And I know I don't have to tell you guys that, but I just feel like I need to, you know, um, scream into the void of what all this craziness is about. Uh, New York city is closing schools. They had just opened a week ago. Now they're closing them in hard hit areas. So that's pretty much all of New York city. Uh of course, Florida hasn't done anything of the sort. In fact, we've gone the other way and we've opened up bars and restaurants. So, um, you know, we'll start to see some fallout from that. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if I trust the data coming out of Florida. To tell you the truth. Um, and finally, Colombian designers have made a cardboard hospital bed that doubles as a coffin. Woohoo! Yeah. Office. this is just super convenient um yeah, so if you go to the hospital and they put you on a cardboard bed um i would I would maybe you know ask to be moved or something i don't that would not seem good for me um, that would seem very very bad all right that is all I have on the trump covid update um Stand by, We are going to, we're going to, I'm going to play Janine's piece from last week. This is super important. I want you guys to all hear this. So uh, here's uh, Janine Maloff with a uh, very important piece from last week coming right up.
3: to the Justice Report with me, Janine Molloff. I'm pre-recording this as we're nearing the Days of Awe, which is the Jewish High Holidays. Well, right now, U.S. Senator Rick Scott is pushing a new bill ironically named the Help America Vote Act. And this bill would severely restrict the time allotted to count mail-in and absentee ballots to no more than 48 hours. This bill would effectively serve to disenfranchise voters that use absentee and mail-in ballots, especially during this COVID season. It hasn't been passed, but he proposed it just two days ago this past Thursday. It's been crafted to serve the GOP and bears no resemblance to legitimate rule of law. On this week, which includes the Jewish Day of Atonement, I asked my fellow Jews to vote for ethical leadership and rights for all and vote Trump and his accolades out. So I'm going to get into my report now. As we near the presidential election day, this nation, I've witnessed a massive moral bankruptcy within the GOP that surpasses the ugliness of previous generations, dating back to pre-Civil War days. As a reformed Jew heading into the somber day of atonement, Yom Kippur, I wonder what my fellow Jews in Florida are thinking when they witness the bigotry, what can only be called neo-Nazism of Trump, and its latest handmaiden, U.S. Senator Rick Scott. As it turns out, Rick Scott is nothing but contempt for the truth, and especially for a democracy itself, like Trump. Subsequently, he has chosen to attack the only tool left to the non-billionaire class that could end this national nightmare of Trump's Nazism, namely the right to vote, and have that vote counted, listen and learn. Jeremy Stahl reported in Slate two days ago in the Jurisprudence section on September 24th that Rick Scott introduced and proposed this bill would make it illegal to count votes Senator Scott thinks we should have less than 48 hours to count ballots. And this was really no coincidence, just the same week Trump said he was, quote, counting on the federal court system to make it so, so that what, end quotes, whatever preliminary tally is completed only on election day, that's what will be validated as the final vote count. So states that basically collected absentee ballots, uh, mail-in ballots, they were all cast, requested and cast, within the appropriate time limit, but weren't counted, so they, didn't, they hadn't completed counting by the end of Election Day, those ballots would be tossed, period. They would be nullified. And this would functionally end the right to vote and end American democracy. And it appears that other Republicans are going all in on this idea that we just shouldn't count actual votes. So Senator Scott's bill would really cause mayhem, all right? And, you know, it's ironically named the Health America Vote Act of 2020. It couldn't sound more Orwellian if he worked at it, but I doubt that Rick Scott's really that clever. But, again, I'll reiterate, this bill would require mail-in ballots, and that means absentee as well, be counted within 24 hours of when voting closes on election day. So that would be election day, and then within 24 hours of that, that's the 48 hours. Now, Scott's legislation would prevent mail-in ballots that were received before election day from being processed and counted until the morning of election day, November 3rd. So all these mail-in ballots, all these absentee ballots that were cast maybe a month earlier because their states allowed that, will not be counted until the morning of November 3rd if this bill became law. It's not law now, but that doesn't mean much for the Trump administration. This would basically not only nullify your right to have your vote counted, especially if you vote early, but it would contradict state election statutes and, you know, once again, what right do they have to nullify state law? That includes a law that Rick Scott signed when he was governor of Florida. Basically, the bill would move back the date which votes can be counted and move up the date by which the count has to end, and that's a 48-hour window. Now, in Scott's own home state of Florida, um, votes can they can start to count votes up to 22 days before election day. Um, but again, his proposal, and again, this is just a proposal, it's not law yet, but Rick Scott's proposal would limit the time for a vote count. And if your ballot doesn't get counted in time, even if you voted in time, your vote is tossed and nullified. So Rick Scott has a history of basically opposing any type of voting rights, except those that, in my opinion, benefit white, Christian, affluent males. So Rick Scott also opposed funding for election administration to help with this tight schedule in all COVID-19 relief bills. Including for his home state of Florida, we have this man who basically has decided he is going to be the handmaiden for Donald Trump. So even late arriving absentee military ballots in Florida, okay, would be held to the standard if Rick Scott got his way. And you have to remember this going back to 2000. In the Bush v. Gore election, it's ironic that Republicans at the time supported the idea that late ballots be counted. All right, the ballots were cast in time; they just haven't had time to be counted yet. And you have to remember, the Constitution allows for I think it's what 72 days between the time of the election and the time the electors get together to, you know, finally cast everything. So there's there's absolutely nothing in the Constitution. And nothing in the law that states that we have to know the results of the presidential election on election day. It's just not true. So that's a bill <coughs> would force states to change the rules. All right? And here's the deal. His own communications director, Chris Hartline, uh, did admit, quote, any conflicting state laws would be preempted, end quote. So he's admitting it. So we have this serious restriction all right and it coincides with the time period where trump has basically entertained and teased about the idea of canceling election day or now he's saying that he will not respect the results of the election or if he loses he won't leave peaceably again it is patently obvious that the gop basically has no integrity no scruples The ends justify the means. It was reported in Slate. But you know what? None of us should be shocked by the unethical behavior on the part of Rick Scott. He's been hostile, as I said before, to voting rights. That is, the voting rights are those those outside his own caste, white, Christian, wealthy men. So for many years, he served as governor and now U.S. senator in Florida. Keep in mind, Florida is a state with the most punitive voting rights laws in the country including stripping ex-felons who have served time of their right to vote. Now, recently, there was a law passed that was going to give it back to them. The Brennan Center from NYU Law School comments on that in an article written by Erica Wood. This was in 2011, Turning Back the Clock in Florida. So back in 2011, the Florida Constitution denied the right to vote for life to anyone that... Had that suffered a felony conviction. And the only exception was if they were granted clemency by the sitting governor. So basically, this gets go- the governor, who ironically is an elected official, the right and the power to decide who is allowed to vote and who isn't. And we live in a time period now where, thanks to advocate groups and lobbyist groups such as ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, they've been based basically. Um, post-writing the law, and creating bills that would basically make minor misdemeanors and turn them into felonies for things as petty as basically, you know, sitting in a tree. All right? So we've got all this going on. And when you look at this, now there's some new clemency rules. That was out of 2011, actually. But those clemency rules back in 2011... Rollback reforms that were passed by the previous governor, um, Charlie Crist, and they're much more restrictive than those under Governor Jeb Bush. Again, as of 2011, that's when this article is commenting on, as of 2011, people with nonviolent convictions have to wait five years after they complete all terms of their sentence before being allowed to even apply to restore their voting rights, and it's a civil right. The clock does reset if a person's arrested for even a misdemeanor during that five-year period, and it doesn't matter if no charges were filed. The people, there are people that have to wait seven years before being allowed to apply, and then they have to appear for a hearing before a clemency board, <coughs> and there was a provision <coughs> excuse me, allowing people to apply for a waiver, um, but that was eliminated. And everyone applying for clemency have to provide documents for the application. You know, once again, this is as of 2011, and this was under Rick Scott. All of these rollbacks. So Rick Scott basically has no respect for the right to vote, for civil rights in general. And keep in mind, it is by no small, uh, no small coincidence that a sizable number of those felony convictions are in the African-American community, okay? This This disenfranchisement law is, as this article says, quote, a relic of a discriminatory past, and it is. It's going back to Jim Crow. It is a response to the 15th Amendment, which forced the state to actually allow voting rights to black men, and again this is just an end run around legitimate rule of law so that white males of money will get privilege to decide who may vote and who can't <clears throat> and this really it makes a mockery of democracy itself and keep in mind the fact is you know why is this even a topic all right so We've got Rick Scott who proposes bill that would nullify votes that were cast in time but weren't counted within a 48-hour period so that basically those votes would be tossed. We go back to 2011 when Rick Scott was governor of Florida and he pushes these alleged reforms which, again, stripped people the right to reapply for their voting rights. And at the time, Governor Scott and then Attorney General Pam Bondi, Speak of voting as a privilege that should be earned. Now my question is this: since one is voting a privilege and not an unalienable right, where in the Constitution does it say this? The very idea that voting is a privilege lowers the act to a favor granted by a monarch, as opposed to that very inalienable right spoken of by the founding fathers. This is inexcusable. You know. Then we go back and look at Rick Scott's personal his his business background before he became a politician. He was the CEO of a hospital company that went public in 97 called Columbia HCA. They forced him out of Medicare and Medicaid fraud. Um, Scott left. This was reported by, let's see now, Randy Schultz. And they forced him out. He left with $300 million in stocks. $5.1 5.1 million severance and a 950,000 per year consulting contract for five years back then. And Scott calls it taking responsibility, but he, he, Rick Scott, didn't let the facts stop his revisionist version of events in his Senate campaign. So when Rick Scott first ran for Senate, um, he had this Senate campaign ad that tried to rewrite the history, and the ad is ironically titled "Responsibility." And you Keep in mind that when this happened with Columbia HCA, they had to, the company, of which he was the CEO, had to settle with the government, and the company admitted to 14 felonies that were all related to fraudulent billing and practices, and most of it happened on, while Scott was CEO. And some of these felonies they admitted to was that Columbia HCA gave kickbacks to doctors who were refer patients. They made patients to doctors. Columbia HCA gave patients... <laughs> Seemed like they were more severely ill than they were, so Medicare would pay more. Columbia HCA, according to the report, two sets of books. The settlement required Columbia HCA to pay 1.7 billion in fines. That's the largest, the largest healthcare fraud settlement in the country. Scott left, um, and he basically bragged about how he transformed how American hospitals do business. You well, could say that.
1: So. Scott's
3: business model depended on fraudulent practices, um, defrauding Medicare, Medicaid, so on and so forth. And yet he won two terms as governor. uh, It's amazing. Um, And then he claims he's the responsible party. In fact, the ad for when he ran for governor, he claimed he took responsibility, but he didn't. Scott blamed the investigation back then uh, on the Clinton administration, claiming that the Clintons wanted revenge after Rick Scott opposed health care reform. All right, and he said that Columbia HCA was no worse than other companies. He said that, well, the government didn't charge him with a crime, and he didn't know anything, and that, but he was also a genius who deserved that expensive severance. Okay, either he's totally, he was totally incompetent as a CEO, or he knew everything that was going on, and he's a criminal. So, you know, once again, when he was actually forced to testify in the Columbia HCA case, Scott bragged about how he took responsibility. But he invoked the Fifteenth Amendment. I'm sorry, he invoked the Fifth Amendment. Excuse me, seventy-five times. I'm going to say that again. He invoked the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination seventy-five times. Now, while that may be Scott legal right and prerogative it also just demonstrates a habitual pattern of unethical behavior now i can practically see the rolled eyes out there when i demand the politicians behave ethically but perhaps that's a larger problem here the utter lack of character ethical behavior and overall decency all right we have an issue here we can no longer allow these politicians to serve to basically to lie to cheat to lie some more and so, Rick Scott has been covered in dirt his whole career, and this was according to an article in Mother Jones in 2010 by Andy Cra- Crawl, and called the rap sheet on Scott Jones. Um, again, they mention his record as former CEO of Columbia HCA, also founder of a company called Solantic, which was a chain of healthcare clinics. Um, let's see now, the, the federal government fined his co- Columbia HCA 1.7. Billion, and this is for Medicare and Medicaid fraud that took place while Scott was the CEO. You know, why he isn't serving time, I'll never know. Uh, because when you do that, that's cheating the taxpayers as well as the patients. Um, he's never fully answered for his inability to know what was going on there or to stop it. Overbilling again with the new company uh, named Solantic. Scott's a major investor. Um... And then Mother Jones also found Scott spent $5, uh, five billion of his own money, to, which he has a right to do, but he started a group called Conservatives for Patients' Rights. And there were ads where basically he was trying to spook people, especially elderly people. Uh, from. He wanted them to run away from any sort of health care for all. All right? So they, don't oppose, they didn't say they opposed reform outrightly. They said that they wanted to promote health care reform, focusing on, quote, choice. Uh, Competition accountability, which is basically uh, a quick way of saying that they want to keep it under basically the profit motive. Um, You know, and Rick Scott basically used misinformation to construct lies of omission. Um, You know, once again, we have to look at what Mr. Scott has been doing, right? We can no longer look at these politicians and say, well, technically, they may not have actually broken the law, but what they did ethically was wrong. And and that's the point. There's a difference, and it used to be part of the discussion. There is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, and we've lost that. This was something that was an argument that went on in the Supreme Court in previous generations, and it's been very conveniently forgotten. And unfortunately, the letter of the law has won out. And the fact is this, you know, we give you an example, and character does matter, and Mr. Scott apparently has very poor character. We have an Eighth Amendment that says no cruel or unusual punishment. But yet, that did not stop George W. Bush's Office of Legal Counsel from devising basically something that went around the letter of the law and crafted a legal excuse to justify torture. It's not hard to understand that when they say no cruel and unusual punishment, that that's forbidden. Torture would constitute cruel and unusual punishment. We don't need to have this tortuous argument. So when John Yoo and Jay Bybee crafted that, that particular excuse through the Office of Legal Counsel for George W. Bush, they committed a crime against democracy itself. They committed a crime against the U.S. Constitution. They committed a crime against the idea of fair play. And why do we have rule of law? Rule of law is supposed to be about fair play. It is not supposed to craft excuses for the wealthy and well-heeled like little children that want to jerry-rig a game to make sure they win every single time. Those are the actions of an adult. Those are the actions of an immature child. So when we look at this, when we look at what Rick Scott is doing with this horribly named Help America Vote Act, basically help GOP steal and destroy the Vote Act, and Rick
1: Scott knows it. He
3: is a licensed attorney. What does it take? What does it take to hold these people accountable? Most of the members of Congress are licensed attorneys. And frankly, most of Donald Trump's most ardent defenders, whether it's Mike Pompeo, uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, Florida Senator Rick scott except for Roy Blunt, most of them are licensed attorneys. But apparently, as long as they can craft something that technically lets them wiggle out from under, then the spirit of the law doesn't matter. The idea of free speech then doesn't matter because they will just write something that nullifies it. The idea that you have a right to vote and have your vote counted will also not matter because they'll just write the Health America Vote Act and, oh, sorry, you did vote in time, but it didn't get counted in time, and it's no fault of yours, but toss, we're tossing it. That's what's happening. We have to hold these people accountable, and that's what it is. So now Rick Scott is working, as I said, feverishly to steal the rights of voters to have their their mail-in ballots counted. And this is during a pandemic, a deadly pandemic, and he still crafted this bill. There's no surprise here. The GOP of Trump has clearly demonstrated that they possess zero respect for legitimate rule of law and are utterly incapable of telling the truth. Rick Scott's scheme to steal our right to vote safely during a pandemic is merely the latest symptom of a nation led by what can only be called out as a criminal, a racist, a neo-Nazi, namely Donald Trump. During this period known to Jews, known to my fellow Jews as the Days of Awe, leading up to the culmination, which is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, we should be cognizant that ethical behavior matters. Care play matters. We should be punishing the GOP of Trump and his bootlickers like Rick Scott for their cruelty and utter moral bankruptcy. Face it, the presidential election is not actually about Joe Biden or even Donald Trump. They're petty characters in this drama. This election is about decency. This election is about restoring democracy to all, regardless of race, creed, gender... Or religious affiliation as Jews we know all too well that when witnesses to evil turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to that evil we become complicit we remember for too we, for too long we have forgotten those stories when our ancestors came here and they were abused just like our Muslim brothers and sisters are being abused right now because they were not Christian For too long, we have forgotten the stories of how we were abused because we didn't look white enough. And then we've conveniently forgotten that we should be there for our brothers and sisters in the black and brown communities. For too long, we've allowed ourselves to be lulled into a false sense of complacency and security, believing, like Jews did in the lead-up to Hitler's uh, show-up, that we're safe, that all that ugliness is gone. It is not gone. And we have a moral response as Jews and as human beings to fight for everybody who is being treated and who has been abused. The fact is, voting against Trump is a vote in. A, we, we voting against Trump is a vote for morality. Voting against Trump, Trump is a vote in accordance with what Dr. King said that when one of us is in danger, all of us are. Voting against Trump is a vote in accordance with the revered teachings of Hillel the Elder when he instructed, and there's two quotes. Moreover, he saw a skull floating on the surface of the water, and he said unto it, because you drowned others, they drowned you, and those that drowned you will eventually be drowned. And the last one. When you yourself hate, I'm sorry, what you yourself hate, don't do to your neighbor. This is the whole law, law of Torah. The rest is Commentary. Go and study and live it. So now, my challenge to the people of Florida, I'm here in St. Louis, my challenge to them, especially fellow Jews in Florida, go out, vote Trump out so we can save democracy itself. I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. That's not the issue. Donald Trump and his neo-Nazis must go. And even if we defeat Trump, we still have an uphill battle. Because until every person of color, every member of the LTBGQ community, every religious minority, until all of us are treated with the same respect and the same rights as anyone else, none of us are safe, and none of us deserve to be safe then. We have that moral obligation, and heading into these days of all, Heading to tomorrow evening, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I can't think of a better way to atone for any sin than to defend our brothers and sisters of other religions, including the Muslim community. To defend our brothers and sisters of color. To defend anybody who has been abused and mistreated and discriminated against by these neo-Nazis. So once again, go out and vote Trump out. Vote Trump out in the name of democracy. Vote Trump out in the name of decency. And that's my report.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Janina. We'll hear from her in just a little bit. And like I said, we are going to continue on with... Rick Spezak's interview with Wendy Lynn Lee in just a moment.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Wendy Lynn Lee, you have had quite a bit of challenge from a fully sanctioned white supremacist group on the campus. Can you talk about the long-term impact that that kind of pressure is going to have on academics? My
5: principal, probably most um, just direct interaction with uh, white supremacists, white nationalists on my own university campus um, occurred in 2017 um, around um, a window display that I had made of the American flag as a, a protest of um Donald Trump's election. The black had actually been hanging in my window upside down as protest since November fourth of twenty sixteen. Um but it exploded as a matter of controversy on the campus when um the what I regard as sort of the the um primo American white supremacist youth group turning point u s a and charlie kirk um somehow I still don't really know how uh, got got a hold of the fact that I had put up this display and um were trying to organize um a a student group on the campus who who really went after me for it um and I think, as i've long said the probably the bigger part of that story um was less about the attack, the turning point USA made on me and a number of academics around the country and in in Pennsylvania, but just the lack of protection offered by university administrations um, to their faculty and to um, what I regard as a fundamentally important concept in academia, which is academic freedom. This flag I'm always... um, I'm I'm always wanting to point out, was not hanging in a classroom. This was my office, um, my office window, which I where I I don't I have not given up my free speech right. And I am not imposing it on students. But the lesson was deafening for me. And I think for hundreds of academics in this country, namely that uh, your university administration is going to talk the talk about academic freedom, about projecting diversity of opinion, and they're not going to walk the walk. And that, that, that was the lesson. Um, they're going to talk the talk, but they're not going to walk the walk and alienate their uh, potential donors or their um, place in the, in the um, pay hierarchy of their own state.
4: Well, if teachers aren't allowed to control the curriculum, if any discussion of alternative points of view is stifled, any pretense of academic freedom is out the window. Uh, What's to prevent these people from deciding like Trump has that uh, Howard Zinn, that there should be no discussion of Indian rights, that uh, African-American rights are uh, uh, inconsequential, that only blue lives matter. There's there's really Mm -hmm. no, no stopping where that could go.
5: Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's terrifying. And I, it is particularly directly relevant to me right now. I am right now teaching a course that take a critical, makes a critical examination of Karl Marx and very specifically the, the beautiful and important literary and philosophical work called The Communist Manifesto. This is a pre-graduate student seminar, so it's mostly philosophy and political science seniors. And this is exactly the kind of literature that I could easily imagine um, being struck from uh, any academic, writer or philosophical curriculum in, in the future. That many of us, including me, would both actively resist this, that I'm teaching this class as an act of resistance. And I tell my students that. I'm completely forthright. It's not a promotion of the manifesto. It is a teaching of the content of that vitally important piece of literature. Um, And in the coming semesters, um, I really will be looking forward to teaching a course that I teach in institutionalized violence that includes a long section on uh, eugenics and uh, the relation of the eugenics movement to the devastation of Native Americans and the cruelty meted out by the American government on Native American reservations in the past and certainly in the present. We will be reading people like Ward Churchill, for example, um, who I imagine, and Howard Zinn. We read Howard Zinn. um, That would certainly come up high on those lists of the book burning that the Trump administration would want to do. It is imperative, imperative, that he neither be reelected Right, nor permitted by our apathy or our pathetic acquiescence to be allowed to stay in office if he refuses to leave. He must go. The democracy is at stake.
4: When we hear that the president wants to design a pro-America curriculum, yes. it, it is absolutely an anathema to the entire American educational system as it has been. Yes. Yes,
5: I, I, I it, is, it is absolutely terrifying. And he has his sights, of course, set on the indoctrination of children from the cradle onwards into a, a vision of America that is not only false, not only simply false, but supports a vision of a very white and very male and very patriarchal and deeply racist, violent America right is that is the one that he is now trying very much to create right and that he would have his followers believe and i no longer i have no longer very much patience um for the trump fan for the trump cult fan uh we've had four years of this right uh you know for any of them out there listening you know better you you follow this leader Right, And you are as guilty as any for the 204,000 dead in America, needlessly dead because of his genocidal negligence. Right? You are as guilty as any for allowing perpetrated the sort of violence we have seen meted out by police on women like Breonna Taylor, for whom no one is going to be held accountable. And that is a travesty, a gutting of justice
4: you know we actually were were uh, exposed to the this uh, president so called who celebrated the wounding of a journalist while covering an important story what mm-hmm. how can any republican how can anyone support this kind of violence of language of thought
5: we tend to see violence itself in terms that are too narrow. We think of violence, we think uh, solely of physical violence, the gun, the baton, right? But I think we have to wake up to the fact that the Mm. violence that this administration has wrought on our fundamental institutions, our fundamental tripartite government, our fundamental sense of human decency and compassion, is so devastating I cannot I can't even imagine at this point that by the time I get to the end of my life that we will have seen an adequate recovery from this kind of catastrophe.
4: You know, we witnessed the use of shock troops and gas to clear a church step so that he could pose with a Bible. Where's the clergy? Where's the clergy calling on this as an abomination to everything that this country stands for? This is not freedom of speech. This is in no way exercise of any kind of freedom of speech. This is brutality, plain and simple. Yeah.
5: And, and there were some, right? There were a few. And I applaud them for their courage. But there weren't remotely enough. Where are the Republicans— as trump makes it abundantly clear that he is not going to leave office that he is that he is not going to leave that he's going to um declare uh, on the night of november 3rd that he's going to declare himself the winner and he's going to do everything he can to prevent particularly not only but particularly mail-in ballots from being counted where where are the Republicans on this grotesque debauchery of a Democratic Republican? Right. Where are where are decent people calling out against um, um, calling out against Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who she has this last wish that is the, um, an eminently reasonable wish that a Supreme Court justice, a Ninth Justice, not be seated until after inauguration day. Of course. That's what should happen, right? Of course, we know why Trump wants a Supreme Court justice now, one he thinks he can control, so that he can become king. What has happened to us?
4: Who are we? It's terribly sobering. And, you know, the, the final few bulwarks against open tyranny, one of those pillars has to be academic freedom. And yes, you know, you wonder how many steps is it until we start hearing about Jewish science. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, 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 history is a stern taskmaster, and we ignore it at our peril. I think actually
5: one of the most just terrifying um, prospects that I playing itself out in even more um, catastrophic ways, if he remains in power, is the, the bludgeoning of science.
1: Um,
5: and, of course, that connects directly to academia and to university departments, large and small, who do science, who take science seriously, who take truth seriously, take facts seriously. And once we lose our grip on that, on being provided truths that we do not want to hear necessarily, but that are provided to us by earnest, toiling scientists, we are in trouble. We are in trouble when we deny climate the climate crisis. We are in trouble... When we deny that a pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands of people here and worldwide, right, has only killed a handful, right, and that it is really just a Democratic Party hoax. Um, and yet, you know, as I sit here, right, my, in my little neighborhood, in my little village in rural Pennsylvania, my village is littered with Trump Pence signs, littered. Right. And it it is incomprehensible to me. But my response to those folks now, especially since they do not wear masks, is I'm just afraid of you, but I will not be a coward.
4: Yeah. You know, that's that's another area. Uh, The complete, I, I don't know, demoralization of scientists in the federal government. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a few voices. Where, where I ha I haven't seen a mass resignation. I haven't seen when you know. Yeah. Okay, there's there's a bit of discomfort on the faces of scientists standing behind this lunatic.
1: Mm-hmm. But
4: where's the? I won't stand for this. This is appalling. Let me tell you what's really going on. I, I haven't heard that, and that's on those scientists who were purchased. Evidently, where their their wallet is more important than their integrity.
5: They should have resigned months ago, and I recognize that perhaps the story, the narrative that they tell themselves is that then Trump would have replaced them by someone even worse, even more like Scott Atlas, um, who I regard as directly complicit in the genocide of his own people. Um, but, and so you know, I understand that narrative, right? They would have been replaced by someone even worse, but ought to have done months ago. Months ago, was resign on Moss, on Moss, and then found other ways in academic institutions like mine, right, to do the critical science, right. It's deeply ironic to me that many pharmaceutical companies and uh, biotechs are now our heroes because they will be. It, they're in the development of, of phase three trials for a vaccine, right? And yet these are not really heroes either, right? I look forward to the, that vaccine as much as, any, um, as much as anyone, but these are also companies who will ultimately be looking to profit off of this and whose association with the health insurance companies um, that are going to make COVID-19 a pre-existing condition is far too cozy, right? It's There is a complex story here, but the heroes are fewer and fewer and
4: fewer. You know, Professor, there's one other question I wanted to ask you, at at least. Um, You know, with all this discussion, let's take the president, so-called, at face value. Okay, he calls this the China virus. Okay, (laughs) now the implication, of course, is that this is a biological weapon. Where's the discussion of once and for all renouncing biological weapons as a crime against humanity? I have not heard that. Well, yeah, I mean, in the first
5: place, of course, there's, there's no good empirical, much less scientific evidence that this was a biohazardous weapon. Of right. Course. Secondly, referring to it as the China virus is is nothing more than a brutal racist trope that we should right. reject out of mind. Absolutely. Right. But simply after that, right? What, why? Why would a profoundly corrupt and violent administration like the Trump administration want to denounce biohazardous weapons? No, we we would want to appropriate them, not denounce them. We would be more inclined to use them at this point in our history than
4: denounce them now well, sadly you're right but i think among the thinking people among people who are humanitarians that that discussion is lacking and i think i think it's missed
5: yeah, yeah it, it is sorely lacking and i mean honestly sadly it's lacking in the universities too i right? i where are more of my fellows um, you know, we we, acad- we tend to be a kind of taciturn, put our heads down and do our work sort of lot, right? But we no longer have that luxury, right? We, we have to stand up for these fundamental values like truth, like equality, like justice, right? Because after all, if we don't do it, right, protected as we still are by tenure, right, for as long as that lasts, Right. If we don't stand up. I don't know who else does. Right. And as for as long as we expect really vulnerable, vulnerable people to do the standing up for us. Right. To be in the front line and the the wall of moms for us. We should
4: be ashamed of that. One one last question I'll ask you. Uh, We saw. Yesterday, the uh, abject failure of justice uh when it was ruled that damaging property was far more important than the death of Breonna Taylor yeah how could any how could any officer of the court countenance a ruling like that as a philosopher as a student of culture what was your what was your reaction to that uh,
5: <laughs> i don't know that i think you need to be a philosopher or a student of culture to see right through that. She was black and she was female. And there are two, perhaps three systems of justice in this country, one for white men, right? One for men and one for women, right? She's a black woman. If she had been a white woman, no one in their right mind short of being profoundly and willfully self-deluded, mm-hmm. believes that this would have gone this way. If she had been a white woman, someone would have been charged with this crime a half a year ago.
4: When racism is laid dead bare, it is profoundly ugly and, and just yeah. an awful mark on our society.
1: The end of The
5: 1619 Project, because it lays it, bare. The 1619 project just lays it bare. Right. So, right. If we're going to maintain the sort of Christopher Columbus myth that he favors, we have to get rid of that.
4: We have to get rid of Howard Zinn. You wonder who in that bunch of ignorant thugs actually even heard the name Howard Zinn. None.
5: Trump is illiterate. He does not read.
4: Well, Professor, thank you so much. I know you're doing your utmost to uphold philosophy, science, and humane values. Thank you for the work that you do, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Be well. Thank you. You take care and stay safe.
0: And we have Janine Maloff with us for the Justice Report. Hey, Janine. Hey, Brooke.
3: I'm going to just get right into it. We're getting close to the election. And and the fact is, believe it or not, there are still some people that are not totally aware of the extent of Donald, not like Donald Trump's racism and overall misogyny and other forms of bigotry, but that of the GOP itself. So I'm just going to start. And hopefully the voters, especially those in Florida, a battleground state, especially fellow Jews, will realize they need to get rid of this monster. Donald Trump has a long documented history of racism, sexism, and anti-Semitism. when I say anti-Semitism, I mean against Muslims and Jews. His followers argue that Trump isn't racist or anti-Semitic. He's just being Trump. Apparently, the closet racists in our nation prefer to view Trump as that cranky old uncle who tells it like it is, including telling or sharing racist jokes about lynching trees and one that was particularly disgusting that was on a white supremacist uh, website, Kentucky Fried Jews. They are humorous, but these are the ravings, these are the ravings of and trademarks of racists that caught. American racists that taught the Nazis of the Third Reich all they needed to know. A lot of Americans don't realize we have it backwards. When Adolf Hitler was looking to build his murder machine, he looked to the racist um, situation under Jim Crow here in the United States. And the accompanying bigotry and racism and anti-immigrant sentiment that formed the Immigration Control Act of 1924 that limited any non-white, non-Christian migration to the United States dangerously to small levels. So Trump's defenders have been at it again. Just this past week before his COVID diagnosis and during the first presidential debate with Chris Wallace of Fox moderating, okay, this is a, uh, he showed his true colors again. And this is a debate where Wallace gave Trump the opportunity to denounce white supremacy. And white supremacy, understand this, is actually the cornerstone of racism and subsequent Nazism. And you have to understand that actually Nazism was built on the racist foundations of this country. And specifically, Wallace asked Donald Trump to denounce not only white supremacy, but a specific group. He mentioned the Proud Boys. And once again, you know, Trump refused to even call him down, call him out. He basically, you know, said, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. And then he went on to say, but I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. Now, anyone, excuse me, who knows anything about military anything knows the term, what stand, stand down And they know what standby means. Standby means we're not going to attack yet, but we're getting ready. It is a green light to get ready for a violent revolution. And and I believe Trump knew what he was saying. And so we look at the response from the Proud Boys. And the Proud Boys, they are a white supremacist group. And they really do go to the streets. They cause violence. They bring clubs and baseball bats and guns and shields uh, and you know basically they are violent thugs. And so some of the actual, um, some of the actual um, you know historians and experts on the subject of racism and xenophobia spoke out. So Kathleen Belew who is a historian uh, that has researched American white power movements, wrote on Twitter that, quote, a green light like stand back and stand by is catastrophic. All right. Jonathan Greenblatt from the American, I mean, sorry, the anti-defamation League or the ADL, was quoted saying, Trump owes America an apology or an explanation now. And the ADL has classified the Proud Boys as an extremist group, and their ideology is mis. Misogynistic, Islamophobic, transphobic, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, basically the only people they approve of, the people they think that should run society are white, Christian, straight males, period. There are no exceptions. Um, In 2019, there was a New York judge who sentenced two proud boys to prison because they assaulted some left-wing protesters in New York City. And the judge, according to the Guardian report, said that basically cracking down on this type of political violence was absolutely essential. The judge was quoted by the New York Post as saying, quote, I know enough about history to know what happened in Europe in the 30s when political street brawls were allowed to go ahead, end quote. And what that judge said is actually true. In the lead-up to the Holocaust, when Hitler was building strength, He didn't actually call out those orders, but he instigated them and then these thugs came and they just beat people up and the official police looked the other way. Sound familiar? Can't separate racism from anti-Semitism and and, um, Islamophobia. They go together because earlier in our history, when we were getting new migrants, people that came from Southern and Eastern Europe, people that came from Asia, and so on. They were not regarded as fully white, and that includes Italians, by the way, and they were basically included in part of that Jim Crow. They didn't get the worst of it, but they were included, and Americans, including in some of those groups, have conveniently forgotten that. So this judge was quite right. There were political street brawls in the 1930s. Nothing new here, and as for Trump going after Antifa, Antifa is a term for an ideology. It's not any actual organization. So Trump has dog-whistled these groups over and over again, whether it was to keep Confederate monuments uh, standing straight and tall or whether it was to pound on the left-wing protesters, whether it's Charlottesville or whether it is important. And the Proud Boys... Uh, basically were uh, NBC reporter, excuse me, NBC reporter Ezra Kaplan reported that, quote, proud boys and social media groups are going wild about the stand back and stand by comment. They're basically basically seeing it as an acknowledgement and a call to arms, end quote. And Ezra Kaplan's right. They see it as a call to arms because it is. It is in military terms, and that's what these idiots think, a clear and unequivocal call to arms against anyone who's not white enough, not Christian enough, and if you're female, not subservient enough. There's no guesswork here. And so there were some other uh, responses. AOC tweeted that, quote, Donald Trump is a white supremacist, obviously. She went on to say, quote, people have been warning about this for a long time. They were ridiculed, called hyperbolic and radical, not because they were wrong, but because others couldn't accept that our country elected a supremacist as president. This is fascism at our door. Rashida Tlaib was quoted um, an important reminder that while racism is being debated, Donald Trump, a white supremacist, just told them to stand by. This, again, shows he is dangerous. Kamala Harris basically is quoted saying the president of the United States in the year of our Lord 2020 refuses to condemn white supremacists. And Bela Sisa, who is uh, a former press sec- the former Latino press secretary for Bernie Sanders, was quoted, quote, when someone shows you who they really are, believe them. So this- we're getting into this. Who are the Proud Boys? And they're just one of many groups, actually.
1: Uh,
3: you know, again, the Proud Boys are this group, this organization. They, record- they consider themselves to be Western chauvinists. I don't think male chauvinists. That's not what they mean. What they are really talking about is that they quote refuse to be they refuse they claim they refuse to apologize for being members of the group that created Western Western civilization. Apparently, the uh, contributions of other groups along the way don't count, and this is an instance where these Western chauvinists they uh, they were founded. In twenty sixteen by a man named Gavin McGuinness. By the way, McGuinness, he married an American, but he's not I think he did become a citizen, but at the time he was a Canadian British right wing activist. Okay, Proud Boys are all male, so they're they're actually very misogynistic. They are staunchly to the right, they're anti immigrant, and they have been classified by the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ADL as a hate group. As an alt right hate group because it is accurate. Um, they go into the streets and they pound on people, and the police look the other way. That's just a fact. Uh, one Proud Boy organizer by the name of Joe Biggs, and this is according to an article that was published in the Telegraph. Okay? So this one, Joe Biggs, basically said on social media on a platform called Parlors. He was quoted, quote, President Trump told the Proud Boys to stand by because someone needs to deal with Antifa. Well, sir, we're ready, end quote. Okay. These are little boys that like to play military. So Greenblatt from the ADL went on to say that Trump's response to the question was astonishing, quote, trying to determine if this was an answer or an admission POTUS owes America an apology or an explanation now, okay? Sister Simone Campbell, the executive director of the Network Catholic Lobby for Social Justice, issued a statement saying, quote, I am appalled at President Trump's refusal to condemn white nationalists, end quote. So now we're going to look a little more. I know this is a little scattered tonight because there was a lot of information. kind of hard to get through it all because one place where Donald Trump is incredibly industrious has been where he has been able to demonstrate his racism and overall bigotry. On that, he's an overachiever. So there was an article published in Vox by German Lopez, it was back in August, titled Donald Trump's Long History of Racism from the 70s to 2020. And it is long, all right? We know that basically on the campaign trail back in 2015, 2016, he mocked disabled reporters, he called Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals, he wanted to ban all Muslims entering the U.S., he has called members, three members of the squad who were, who are American citizens, but again, they're, they're you know, either Puerto Rican or Muslim, telling them to go back where they came from, they're from here. Uh, he stereotyped a black reporter, he pandered to white supremacists, after they held, you know, the rally, and after they um, basically broke heads in Charlottesville, you know, Trump has pushed along with his supporters this false equivalence argument, you know, this idea that it's like in Charlottesville, that it's on both sides. No, there weren't. Okay, you can't have a false equivalence. I, I saw um, this cartoon, and it was, I think, on Facebook, and there were two women seated, a white woman and a black woman. The white woman said We can agree to disagree. And the black woman said, "Well, that's fine when it comes to pizza, but not when it comes to racism." And that's true. So Trump has gone on, as as Rick said in the earlier report, calling COVID-19 the Chinese virus or the Kung flu. These are both racist terms, and it has basically instigated anti-Asian violence. All right. And again, he knows what he's saying. Kellyanne Conway called it the Kung Flu. Um, no, I'm sorry. She called it highly offensive. I, I take that back. But once again, this is the same Donald Trump that pushed the birther conspiracy theory that President Obama wasn't born in the U.S. Last time I checked, Hawaii was part of the United States, but that wasn't good enough for Donald Trump. All of these we know, but let's go back a little farther. I have to speed this up. In 1973, the U.S. Department of Justice during the Nixon administration sued the Trump Management Corporation because they violated the Fair Housing Act. The feds found evidence, as reported in the New York Times, that Trump had refused to rent to black tenants. He lied to black applicants regarding the availability of apartments and several other accusations. Trump whined that the federal government was after him, trying to get him to rent to welfare recipients. Anyway, at the end of that, he signed an agreement in 75 where he agreed not to discriminate uh, against uh, people of color, but he never admitted to any previous discrimin- discriminatory policies. In the 1980s, Kip Brown, former employee at Trump's Castle, accused uh, one of Trump's businesses of discrimination. Quote, when Donald and Ivana came to the casino, the bosses would order all the black people off the floor. It was the 80s. I was a teenager, but I remember it. They put us all in the back, end quote. 1989, there was a controversial case. We remember it as the Central Park Five. These five, the, I'm sorry, these four black teenagers and one Latino teenager, they were accused of raping a, a jogger in New York City. And Trump took out this big ad in all the papers, bring back the death penalty, bring back our police. <clears throat> now, these five teens, based on DNA evidence, had nothing to do with rape. They still wound up spending 13, anywhere from 7 to 13 years in prison, according to the New York Times. And yes, their convictions were vacated, finally. And the city had to pay $41 million in a settlement. But once again, Trump's instigation and then the just the, the racism of the general society contributed to this. This has to stop. 1991, there was a book by John O'Donnell, who was former president of Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, and he quoted uh, what Trump said about a black accountant. Quote, black guys counting my money, I hate it. The only kind of people I want counting my money are short guys who wear yarmulkes every day. He thinks the guy is lazy, and it's probably not his fault because laziness is a trait in blacks. It really is, I believe, that it's not anything they can control. End quote. So again, 1992, Trump Plaza Hotel Casino had to pay a $200,000 fine because it transferred black and women dealers off the tables to basically accommodate any of the big gamblers' their personal preferences. In 2000, um, Trump was opposed to a Trump was opposed to a possible casino that was proposed by the Saint Regis Mohawk Tribe. Um, And Trump secretly ran a series of ads suggesting the tribe, quote, had a record of criminal activity that is well documented, end quote. 2004, season two of The Apprentice, he fired Kevin Allen, who was a black black contestant. And why? Because he claimed he was overeducated. You know, to quote Trump, you're an unbelievably talented guy in terms of education, and you haven't done anything. At some point, you have to say that's enough whatever that means 2005 Trump publicly pitched what was the idea of the atten- the apprentice white people versus black people. I am not kidding. You cannot make it as, in, as written in box. Uh, Buzzfeed also said um, he wasn't particularly happy with the last season of the show in 04. So he was thinking that white people versus black people in a season of the apprentice would be entertaining. Um, you know, he pushed the role that Obama was not actually born here—the birtherism thing. You know, when you look at all these, and I know I'm running short on time here, this isn't a, this isn't one or two faux pas. This is a clear pattern, and you can't ignore it during the campaign. Again, he called Mexican immigrants rapists. All right, what you know? Basically, he is inciting a lynch mob that his supporters appear to be following through on his wishes. Um, At the 2016 Republican debate, he was asked whether all 1.6 billion Muslims hate the US and Trump's response was, I mean a lot of them, I mean a lot of them, end quote, whatever that means. Um, You know, there was a Trump University lawsuit in 2016. He argued that Judge Gonzalo Curiel should recuse himself because of his Mexican heritage, uh, because, I guess, he just wasn't going to have a um, a Latino judge, all right? Once again, he has been slow to condemn white supremacists. He has regularly retweeted messages from white supremacists and neo-Nazis during the presidential campaign, and that is very damning. He used dog whistle, uh, dog whistle code to basically get away with it. There's so much here, it's not even funny. Uh, then you have a few faux journalists and faux academic academicians. Disgraced journalist Mark Halperin um, basically said the same thing. He said that when, when Trump argued that Judge Curiel should recuse himself, that, that wasn't Uh, an example of racism on Trump's part because, quote, Mexico isn't a race, end quote. Um, You know, once again, these people are making excuses and it has to stop. Uh, I've got so much more, I can't get through all of this. So white supremacy has always been in American politics. To pretend that it isn't is ludicrous. Um, And one of the great theories that is a big part of white supremacist politics is a great replacement theory. the old racism and anti-Semitism that's basically been given a political makeover for the 21st century. And this is the idea that there's going to be some alleged white genocide because, you know, basically whites are going to be outnumbered by all these other people, uh, and which is insane, but this is, you know what a lot of people believe they believe in eugenics you know trump has always talked about good genes versus bad genes except that again this, the the idea of eugenics has been basically proven to be uh, unsubstantiated and false it's not a science at all so but this is old in american culture you know the racist rules of the 1924 immigration act again that goes back a long way. You know, basically people here were terrified that they were going to, whites were going to be outnumbered. Even revered Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes proved that racism and eugenics were firmly entrenched at the court. All right, He was fine with it. He, he went back on it later, but once again, there's no mistaking this. Um, and so Trump has echoed Basically, there's a racist book called The Camp of the Saints, and he basically echoed or copied the last scene of the book when he, well, this was in 2018. He said, quote, if they want to throw, and this is at the border, if they want to throw rocks at our military, our military fights back, I told them to consider a rifle, end quote. That, those words echo the, the last scene of Camp of the Saints which is a renowned white supremacist book, all right? There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't have time to go into it all, unfortunately. Um, Trump has claimed over and over again referred to immigrants of color as an infestation. Again, these are echoes of old Nazi propaganda. Ken Cuccinelli used old Nazi symbolism back in 2012, all right? And when he talked about basically how immigrants will infest our country. And Cuccinelli is now number two at the Department of Homeland Security. So we know who Trump rewards. Um, Basically, when you incite these people to violence, they follow through. The Tree of Life synagogue shootings in Pittsburgh were driven by that same conspiracy theory, that replacement theory, and that there was a Jewish plot to pollute the white race. You know, once again... And that was something stolen from an earlier work called the Protocol for the Elder's Design, which was created by the Russian Imperial Secret Service, but it keeps coming back. So those of my people who think that they have some sort of safety, they don't. The bigots, the white supremacists do not, re- they regard us as color too. They do not regard us as white. There is no safety here, which is one of the reasons why they keep going after Soros as well. Um, you know, once again, This is what we're dealing with. And so when you go, there was a wonderful article in um, Al Jazeera written by Yannick Giovanni Marshall. And, you know, here's a quote that I think is very appropriate. He's talking, he's comparing the racism in this country to what the Nazis did during the Holocaust. Quote, there have been several nights of broken glass in the history of the American colony. Several dark-skinned and franks, hidden hiding in the exposed roots of trees covered in spruce pine and red onion to throw off the tracking dogs. Holocaust pogroms are a dime a dozen, extermination attempts, mass internment, cattle cars. Its primary targets were black and indigenous populations whose life and deaths are still considered to be a little consequence. Our, so, end quote, and that's still very true. Um, the sins of Donald Trump and the Republican Party are many. The old guard of the GOP argues that they're not racist like Trump. They, the George W. Bush acolytes, and those who labored under Reagan, are merely lying like Trump to the world. The GOP of Trump is not, as I've said before, an anomaly, but rather is the logical end result to the premeditated racism of the GOP, beginning with the infamous Southern strategy. There is no compassion in George W. Bush's compassionate conservatism. The Southern strategy began as a way to bring back white working-class voters, but offering them away. To express their collective contempt and hatred of racial and religious minorities using dog whistle code aka language thinly veiled to disguise the bigotry with some plausible deniability the gop became a safe place for racists remember lee atwater's infamous quote and this was for the southern strategy quote you start out in 1954 by saying nigger 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 in 1968 you can't say nigger that hurts you backfires so you say stuff like uh, forced busing, straight states rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract now. You're talking about cutting taxes. And all these things you're talking about are total, totally economic things. And a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. We want to cut this. It's much more abstract than even the busing thing. Uh, and a hell of a lot more abstract than nigger nigger, end quote. Then we have the racist commercials. Reagan had welfare queen, queens. George Bush Sr. authorized the Willie Horton Act from 1988. Trump denounced African countries as shitholes. Don't be fooled by this con artist, Trump. It is clear from his history that he despises people of color and religious minorities, Muslims and Jews. It was 2015 when Trump retweeted a post showing Bernie Sanders in a concentration camp uniform, complete with yellow stars, sitting in a gas chamber. The canister of Zyklon was visible. Trump was in a cartoonish, Gestapo uniform, gleefully about to push the button. This is not a joke. Anyone who can joke about this is obviously a Nazi sympathizer and racist. Trump never apologized. We are in an age of pandemic plagues. COVID is the second deadliness. Donald Trump is the number one plague to humanity. It's time to send him packing. One last thing. Many Trump supporters find humor in racist jokes. Still others claim that they don't approve of such bigotry. But support support Trump because of his alleged business acumen. And others support Trump because, quote, he tells it like it is. No amount of actual evidence proving virulent racism, misogyny, homophobia, anti-Semitism, et cetera, dissuades the supporters. There's a term for these supporters,
0: Nazis.
3: And that's my report.
0: That was powerful. Oh, my gosh, Janine. Uh, and, and I couldn't agree more. I was... Uh, as I was preparing for tonight's show, I came across uh, some information on McGinnis you know he also was the founder of uh, vice Vice news so you know yeah he had- He's got quite a bit of uh, of, of juice behind him, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. he, he can access media, and and uh, you know he's, he's a powerful person and quite a scary person uh, with regard to to all of this. Uh, thank you so much again for such a great uh, segment. And I want to remind listeners to catch you on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern oh, time, 7 p.m. Central time for the environmental. Justice report and we'll see you again next week and I will uh, uh, say goodbye to everybody who is uh, still with us and um, you know uh, hang in there we're we're uh, watching things as as they occur and like I said Friday is the day that we're looking at for getting the final Uh, view of Trump's health with regard to the COVID. So thank you, Janine. Thank you, listeners. And we will see you all next week.
4: That's chumbacasino.com. No
3: purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
4: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a
5: TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax.